0: Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I welcome you back, those of you who have been uh, listening and following this uh, teaching. I am going to continue my study of the book of Revelation. And as you may already know, and if you don't know, I'm taking a verse-by-verse approach to the book of Revelation. Yes, all of the verses in the book we, we will look at. Now, some of them we will go through a little bit quicker than others, and some of the time will be given to some of the passages. Uh, will be a little longer. For example, I'm spending a little bit more time on the introduction right now, and it will speed up a little bit as we go through the the uh, churches of Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3. And then when we get to chapter 4, uh, we'll slow it down a bit at different locations so that you can gain uh, a lot of information from this. Uh, I love the book of Revelations. I love studying it. It's one of the most wonderful books in the Bible, and uh, I, I thank all those who have contacted me to let me know that they have been uh, encouraged to go ahead and read this and follow along because they've never really spent much time in the book of Revelation. So I want to begin today with Revelation chapter 1. I want to read verses 7 and 8 to give us a context by which we can uh, uh, listen to this sermon and and, uh, hear all of the uh, information that is here. Okay, beginning in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 1. The Word of God reads, Beginning in verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, I am Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. We are living in some exciting times. I know that they can be confusing, they can be... Uh, people have told me they've been fearful, they've been depressed, or they've been unsteady. is it, it, so much of what's been going on in our world in the last year, year and few months with COVID and all that is happening. And now the outburst of uh, information that is flooding the airwaves with uh, UFO sightings. And the government uh, is going to be releasing next month uh, information uh, as far as what they know about UFOs. You say, oh, no, you're going to get into all that. Well, no, I'm not going to get into all that. But I'm just telling you that there's a lot of excitement about the second coming. I uh, I hear it. I've had people contact me. I, I hear, I read things. I see things. And I don't want to get caught up in the, in the frenzy of uh, all that people are looking at. I know there's people predicting the rapture of the church this week. And uh, I'm just I'm going to keep on keeping on and whatever happens, is, it will happen. But for now, I am going to focus on the Word of God, because that's where our focus is. It's not the newspaper. It's not the, what we think are signs. It's not what uh, emotionalism someone is trying to get us involved with, but it is the Word of God. And so I want to stay with that. I want to focus on that. And this passage is a picture of or look actually at the second coming of Christ, and so I want to give you just a brief outline as I as I kind of get into this. But I want you to know something as I, as I do state this, that this book is very important book. It's it's one of the most important as far as understanding prophecy. Uh, we must open up our understanding to the greatness of this event by sort of getting our arms around how important this book is to the rest of Scripture. And I want to try to just give you some things. I know a lot of writers do this, and so I've just lifted this out of several different writers. But it said that prophecy, or future prediction, takes up one-fifth of the Scripture. That's incredible. Of that one-fifth of the Scripture that speaks to future prophecy, one-third of that that refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some have calculated that there are over 660 general prophecies, 333 about Christ, 109 fulfilled at his first coming, and 224 at his second coming. So the Bible has much to say about his second coming. In fact, it's, it's quite extraordinary when you actually look at all these Facts related to prophecy in his first and second coming. And then there's of the 46 Old Testament prophets, less than 10 10 of them speak of his first coming. 36 of them speak of his second coming. There are over 1,500 Old Testament passages that refer in some way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. 1,500. One out of every 25 New Testament verses Deals directly to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is amazing. For every time the Bible mentions the first coming of Christ, it mentions the second coming eight times. So you have a one to eight ratio. For each time the atonement is mentioned, just to give you another parallel, each time the atonement is mentioned once, the second coming is mentioned twice. So Jesus refers to or Jesus actually refers to his second coming. Twenty-one times, and over fifty times, we're told to be ready for His return. So I'm, I'm giving you that as I, before I jump into this outline, because I want you to see this is a major theme of Scripture: is prophecy and the and the look at the future. And I only throw those number at you not not so that you'll you know obviously try to remember them, but just to let you see to get just a maybe a glimpse into how important this is. After all. This is God giving the Apostle John revelation of of future events, things that are going to happen. So there is a reason for that. There is a a reason why we are given this and need to know this. So I want to start today with our outline. And uh, the title of the the passage today is, He is Coming. I'm taking that straight from verse 7 where it says, Behold, He is coming. So I just lifted that out. And the title of the message is, He is coming. Now this is a look at the second coming. And so I want to uh, give you several things about this. I'm not going to be able to give you everything I'd like to give you. Uh, I just There's just too much here. So let me begin with our outline today. and We're looking at these things. And so I always like to do a who, what, when, where, why. Uh, those of you using those words, if I can, because I think it helps with the outline. So the first thing is who. who is <clears throat> this passage talking about who is, the, who is coming and, and what does it have to say about him? Well, this is, this is Christ himself coming. He is actually coming. It is a, a, a glorious event. It's all about the one who comes and the one who comes is Jesus Christ. This is a book about the second coming. And the great and glorious announcement of the thesis or the theme or the heart of the book is actually this verse, verse 7, which is Jesus is coming. The great fact, I think, summarizes this book. The, the, uh, that condenses the book into one big, giant affirmation, and it takes John 21 chapters, really, and then the 22nd chapter t- taking us all the way into the glory to unfold all of this. So here we have in verse 7 a, a prophetic announcement of this book. And I think we see with the number one, with the who, who is coming, it's Jesus Christ. There is a, a positiveness, there is an absoluteness about this. This book is telling us for the first time, look, pay attention. Why? Because he is coming. Now I want you to notice something under number one in the who is who is coming, it's Jesus. But I want you to notice You probably already see it. It is in the present tense. Well, you say, well, what difference would that make? Well, I want you to to notice the present tense because it doesn't say he will come. It doesn't say uh, that he shall come. It says he is coming. And the use of the present tense verb, I think, is intended... To give us an understanding that he is already in the process, that the process of his coming has already begun. Now that doesn't mean that I, I, I'm saying he's going to come tomorrow or I'm, I'm that he's going to come this Saturday, like so many others are saying. But I want you to know that this is just telling us here it's not something that he's sitting around waiting on. This process has already started. So the statement he is coming is really drawn out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, which says, I kept looking, that's Daniel seven thirteen, which says, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And Daniel 7.14 says, and to him was given dominion. So John receives uh, an announcement or or a a word about this, a prophetic revelation here, that is an affirmation that he actually is coming. In fact, if you were to take these passages in Daniel, uh, Daniel 7.13, Daniel 7.14, there is a title there for the Messiah, the coming one is what he was known as. The coming one was a special name for the Messiah. Matthew has an interesting reference to it, and I'll read it to you. Matthew, uh, in John the Baptist was in prison, and he sent word to his disciples, and he said to them, are you the coming one? You see, the Jews all knew the coming one as a title of a messianic prophecy related to the Messiah who was to come. Jesus is that coming one. That same verb that's used there means coming and it's used directly or indirectly with reference to Christ nine times in the book of Revelation. Seven of those nine times, it is words of Jesus himself referring to himself as the coming one. So, with this first part of the outline, the who, I just want you to see that it is about the coming one. It is Jesus who is this coming one. And it is the theme and the, uh, really the, the 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 major part of this book is drawn out in the fact that Jesus is the one coming. Now, I want you to look at number two. Oh, my, I say look at it. Uh, number two on the outline is the word what? What? His return. It is an actual return. Now, this is, I, I'm only throwing this in because I want you to see something. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming With the clouds. So, if that means he's in the process, I want you to understand he has already come before. That was his first coming. He came in in humiliation. He came in uh, to take our sins upon the cross and to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he ascended up into heaven. But we're looking for that same Christ to come back. Now, this is where it gets could be confusing with people. People get all excited and say, Jesus is coming back again. And they read passages like this or what's in Revelation chapter 19 or even in Revelation chapter 6 and none of those verses refer to what they're actually talking about. They are talking about the second coming, but in their excitement, they're really describing the rapture of the church. And so I, I just need you to understand that Between the rapture of the church, and I'll have a lot to say about this in coming weeks so that maybe it will begin to be clear for those of you that it might be unclear at this present time. But the rapture of the church is the next actual thing to happen on God's prophetic calendar. That's what people are predicting is going to take place this week or, or this month or June that we are that close to it happening. Well, it might be. I don't know that. But I know that this passage in verse 7 is actually speaking of an actual return of Jesus, as we saw in the first number one of the outline, but number two is it's an actual return. Jesus has gone up into heaven, but he's actually and physically coming back. That's what this verse is. That's not the rapture. At the point of his return that this verse 7 is talking about, the rapture will have already happened at least seven years earlier. So what this is saying is, if we're close to this verse 7, the second coming, we're even closer to when the rapture of the church will happen. And so I hope that's not confusing, but this number two is only meant to show you that he is actually coming back. So it's central to the Christian gospel and the Christian faith to believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so... That is a different event than the rapture. In fact, we're going to see this as we go through because the rapture is meant to, in, in, the message of the rapture is meant to encourage believers. In fact, it even says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. But the message of the second coming is not one of comfort. It's one of fear and, and, and mourning and crying and weeping. And we're going to see that in this actual passage. So I want you to know that number 1 is the who, number 2 is the the what, and what is this? It's an actual return of Jesus Christ. But number 3 is how. And how is is a very interesting thing here because I want you to to take a look at verse 7, behold he is coming with the clouds. He's coming with the clouds, and the clouds play an important part. A cloud was the symbol of God's presence with his people in the desert or in the wilderness wanderings as we read uh, through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers uh, in the Old Testament. You remember they were led by a cloud by day and then a, a, a cloud of fire by night. You also remember that the cloud of the glory of God filled the tabernacle, and we can find that story in Exodus 40 when it was built. That's Exodus four zero when it was built. You also remember that when the temple was completed, and we find that in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, there was a cloud, and that cloud was the glory of God. It tells us how it filled the temple. And then in Daniel seven thirteen, that I've already said to you, the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven. And then Matthew seventeen five basically says, a cloud came down on the Son of Man, and we saw that on the story of the transfiguration. When Jesus is up on the, the mountain with Peter, James, and John, but when Jesus... Uh, ascended also in Acts chapter one verse nine, a cloud received him out of their sight. And when he comes again, Matthew twenty four thirty, he will come in the clouds of heaven. And then in Revelation one seven, behold, he is coming in the clouds. And so here we see the clouds is how he's going to come. Go. That's going to be, uh, as one writer puts it, his mode of transportation even though it's not really. But what's the point of it? Well, it could mean a heavenly origin. He's coming from heaven where the clouds are, but I don't think that's exactly what's intended here. I don't even think the point here is so much some kind of earthly cloud. I think this is a glory cloud. Or clouds. I think this is showing to us the very glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is going to return. If you go back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis, you read about the Shekinah glory, which was light. And I think as I taught this several, uh, maybe actually over a year ago now, that the light was a blazing, shiny light. It was God manifesting himself in light in that garden. And it could be seen. It also could be heard because they heard the sound of it in the garden. It says they heard God moving in the garden. It must have been energized light. We don't really know. God is a spirit, though. We do know that. And not a body. God is not a man. And he did reveal himself in some kind of energized, blazing light. It was so powerful and so blazing that no one could see it fully and live. He even says that. In Exodus chapter 33. So you can just have just a little bit here. uh, About this this glory. But the thing about the light in Genesis. Is in in Exodus. It it had to be veiled. But in the future when Christ comes back. And we see it here in verse 7. The glory of Christ on these clouds. It will not be veiled. In fact I can't wait to get to. Uh, Revelation 16 and 17 and actually well actually 15 as well and show you how the world is prepared physically and atmospherically for Christ to return. It's going to actually I remember the first time I began to see this it astounded me to to see and to understand that this is what he was talking about as far as the the clouds of heaven and and all that is, is there as far as this this book of Revelation and his return. It's absolutely amazing to see it. God is going to actually turn off the, the lights of the heavens. And then the glory of heaven is going to be revealed. So it's going to be unveiled glory. The first thing that God will do, again, is he's going to turn out the universe, turn it off. The sun goes off, the moon goes out, the stars don't shine, the entire universe goes pitch black. And we're going to take a look at that as we get further, much further along in Revelation. Uh, But this is just like a synopsis of this. We see the how he is coming. And by the way, uh, what makes up that cloud? The very blazing brightness of Christ, who is the expressed image of the Father. And that brightness is, is revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 1. Is so bright. In fact, we're going to see it here in two weeks on Revelation chapter one. Uh, It is said that ten thousand times ten thousand times thousands of thousands, which means innumerable number of holy angels in blazing glory, and you add that to the glorified saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament who are in blazing white robes. As we come back in Revelation chapter nineteen, it will be a sight to behold for the world. And so when we look at this, boy, it is hard to imagine all that's going to happen. So with our outline, we have the who. It's Jesus Christ. We have the what in, in this verse is talking about his actual return. And then number three, how is it going to come about? He's coming in the clouds or he's coming in his glory. And then number four, where? Well, I think it's pretty indicative here that it says in verse seven, every eye Will see him. Well, how is that possible? Where could he come from where every eye could see him? And this may be just a tad repetitive with the one that just came before it, but I believe he's coming from high up, and I think that is a way of saying he's coming from heaven. But it says, Every eye will see him. His coming will be visible to the entire human race, everybody in the whole world the time there will be no mistake. The first time Jesus came, the glory was veiled, and many people did not know that. But the second time, it is going to be obvious that it what is actually happening on the earth. They won't have to guess at what this is. And think about this. How can, even when our sun, of the solar system, comes up, it's light over here and dark on the other side of the world. But this... The book of Revelation is going to explain this in a way that you're going to actually be amazed at it as far as how dark the earth is going to be all over, all around the globe, and then how powerfully lit up it's going to be, and everyone will see it. And the implication here is at the exact same time. But I want you to notice, the, uh, not only is it from heaven, In number four of the outline. But number five, why is he coming? Why is this? And, of course, the passage doesn't say why in using those words. But he does give us a hint at this. You see, he's coming for judgment and he's coming for blessing. But he doesn't say it like that in the verse. I want you to notice in the verse it says, Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, Amen. Well, it might be a little uh, difficult to understand that, but he divides this into two groups. Those who pierce him is the first group. And then the second group, if you look at the verse, even those who pierced him, that's the first group. And the, the second group is all the tribes of the earth. So who are these people? Well, those who pierced him, it's not the Roman soldiers. They're long dead. They've been gone. They are not going to see him. Who is he talking about? Well, I want to show you who he's talking about. John chapter 19, 37, it came around, of course, the soldiers, and they pierced his side with a spear, verse 34, and blood and water came out. They didn't have to break his legs. He was already dead, verse 36. Not a bone of him shall be broken. The scripture said that it came to pass. But then uh, there's other scriptures. They 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 shall look on him whom they have pierced. What does that refer to? Well, he's talking about a prophecy from Zechariah. Zechariah said this group would, would look on him whom they have pierced, and Zechariah said it was going to be the Jews. It's the Jews. Zechariah said that they will come when they will look on the one they have pierced, and he meant the Jewish nation. It will be Israel. This is yet future. It hasn't happened. You say, well, how do you know that? Because that's exactly what he says. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me, meaning Jesus, whom they have pierced. Who pierced Jesus? Well, not the soldiers. Uh, Who was responsible for his death? Israel. So you take Acts chapter 2, verse 22 uh, men of Israel says says this first, men of Israel listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know this man delivered by the predetermined <coughs> excuse me plan and foreknowledge of God, and here it comes. Here it is, you men of Israel you nailed him to a cross he was nailed by the hands of godless men but you did it you used the hands of romans but you did it acts 3:14 he's speaking here to the jews disown the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you put to death the prince of life that is it's the jews And so what an amazing thing we see here that he's talking about. It's the Jews that are responsible. So he says in verse 7, the Jews who pierced him, they will see him. They will look upon him. Now listen to this. You're going to find in the book of Revelation there's a lot of Jews who have been saved by this time. And he comes to, uh, we come to Revelation 7 and Revelation uh, 11, uh, 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 7 and 9 I mean. In fact, there's 144,000 of them, 12 thousand out of every tribe that are saved they're going to be taking the message of the gospel to the to the world there will be jews that will be saved in the second half of the tribulation and then he comes but but in order to understand this we're going to need to know what is actually happening at the end some of this i can give you now but some i'm going to have to wait and so who will look on him who are the jews who are going to look on him, and what is their response? They will have been saved by that time. But for other Jews, when they first see Christ coming out of heaven, and they will not yet have repented of their sins and been saved, at that moment when they see him, they will be saved. You see, there's a period of time when Christ comes out of heaven, before the final judgment, maybe days, maybe hours, we don't know the actual length, but there is a time in which these Jews will be saved. In fact, doesn't uh, the book of Romans say, all Israel shall be saved? And I believe for the great vast nation of Israel, that will be the moment of the Jews' salvation, those who are alive, all of them. Now, before that happens, though, we're going to see a purging Uh, Then we find that in Exodus, and so we're going to have a cleansing of two-thirds of all the Jews, but one-third will be left, and when they see Christ at his coming, they will be saved. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 speaks of this. And Listen to what it says. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm going to save the Jews. I'm going to save them. They're going to look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for a son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of frustration. Why will they weep? Because they see him as, as who he is and they realize they pierced him. Now, this is an interesting thing because there's so many ways I could go here. But I want you to know that there is a day when God is going to save the house of Israel, all of Israel. And it's that day. It's that time, the end of the tribulation, when Christ comes after the purging of the nation of Israel of two-thirds of all the Jews. One-third is left. Then Christ busts through the heavens. And what this verse says, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Israel is going to see him, and they are going to be saved at that point. But you know what's interesting? If you want to read what they're going to be saying in their hearts, maybe some out loud, is read uh, Isaiah chapter 53. That is their actual confession. As they see the one they appear, they recognize who he is, they recognize the fact that they did not understand or did not see him for who he was, and that is their actual confession. So there is that day coming, and it is going to be an amazing day. It will. But I want you to notice that The mourning there, look at what it says. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Those who pierced him is the nation of Israel. And they will be mourning through repentance, weeping and mourning to repent when they see Christ. But then I want you to notice the second group. The second group is all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. There it is again, the word mourn over him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. All the tribes of the earth. Who in the heck is that? Some people say, well, this is just another way of speaking of Israel. No, not right here. It's not. Matthew 24, 30 tells us very clearly. It says, Matthew twenty four thirty, The signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Same thing. And we'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, the sky with power and great glory. Now, when they see him coming, they're not going to mourn, Listen carefully. They're not going to be mourning with repentance in their mind. They're going to be mourning with fear. You see, this is a look at the the Gentiles. This is another word here for Gentile nations when it says tribes of the earth. This is the rest of the world. The word mourning here is interesting. It is a word that literally means to cut. Well, why did they use that word? Because in, in Revelation... Uh, and uh when uh, in revelation one seven when it talks about those who pierced him, then you go to Zechariah twelve and it talks about them mourning it's not the same word that word means repentance. This word means to cut. Well, why do they use the word to cut? Because it comes from uh, an imagery where people were in deep despair for strange reasons they would cut themselves people in fact I, I hear that so in some cultures they still do that it's not uncommon. For that to happen, First Kings chapter eighteen, verse twenty-eight. The frenzied, panic, prophets of Baal, and Aura, uh, when the, that great showdown they had with the prophets of Baal, uh, when the, they claimed that God was not hearing themselves. They, when they realized that, they cut themselves according to their customs with swords until the blood gushed out. as though it's a gory picture, but that's really what it talks about. People in despair on that day cut themselves, and that's what this is going to be. This is a look at the rest of the world and how they are going to be responding. When Jesus comes, the Jews are going to mourn, a mourning of repentance, according to Zechariah, but the rest of the world will mourn. Look at how it says it. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Let me tell you something. They're not repenting. They are actual in fear of the judgment that is coming to them. And is it coming? It is coming. The Gentiles mourn the morning of judgment and fear. So we have two different groups. And one, same coming, same second coming, causes one group, those who pierced him, Israel, to repent. It causes the other group to actually curse him. So this is an amazing thing, and so I think when we uh, begin to unfold this and get to the end, it's going to be even more amazing. And so He is coming. That's the whole point of all of this. He is coming, and let me tell you something: whether you believe it or not, the world is going to believe it at that moment. The Lord says, "I," and then He 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 gives us this last word here in verse seven. Even so, Amen. It's almost like He is saying here, uh, He is coming. And this is to say, yes, come. Israel shall be saved. The world's going to see it. Yes, let it be. Let it happen. Continue on. Even so, amen. I don't have time to get into uh, verse 8. But the Gentiles are going to be very responsive to this in a way that it's amazing. In fact, when you read this, you tend to think, well, gosh, are people going to have sympathy? No, people are going to be responding. You either have the Jews responding with repentance or the rest of the world responding through this fear. And so when he says, Amen, he's using a Greek word and the Hebrew word, both of them meaning yes. And so he takes both languages and makes an affirmation here. He says it in verse 7, Even so, Amen. That's two different words, one Hebrew, one Greek. And so really he's saying, Come, yes, do it. John is thrilled by this response. And so I hope this is a a little bit of an insight for you. I hope this is thrilling for you. Next week, I'll look at verse 8, and we'll see three different attributes of God uh, confirming the fact of his coming in verse 7. I wish I had time to get to them, but I do not. But I hope you will read the book of Revelation and get involved in this book, because I promise you, nothing but enthusiasm and excitement will follow. Thank you again for listening to Hope for the Heart and be reading God's Word daily. I mean as many times as you can. Keep it often in front of you. Thank you.